0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. In today's challenging world, it's very easy to start feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed. If you're experiencing any of these feelings, BetterHelp is here for you. They offer licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. You can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network that gives you access to help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you're matched with a therapist in as little as 48 hours. You can also request a new therapist at no additional charge at any time. Join the 3 million-plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash After Dark. That's BetterHelp.com slash Holidays After Hey holiday lovers, welcome to another episode of Holidays After Dark, the podcast that looks at the strange and twisted sides of the mainstream holidays we all know and love. I'm your host, Kristen. It's June now, and later this week I'll be heading out on a very exciting trip. For the first time ever, ChristmasCon, which is typically held in New Jersey in December, is coming to Kansas City this weekend. But the part I'm even more excited about is the night before ChristmasCon begins. My favorite podcast of all time, and the first show I ever started listening to, Deck the Hallmark, is coming to Christmas Con, and the night before, they're doing a live show at a bar in Kansas City. In addition to my ticket, I also bought a VIP pass to meet the hosts, Brand, Dan, and Brian. It's really hard to describe how much their podcast means to me. The premise is that three guys discuss and review every new Hallmark movie the network airs, with a focus on the Christmas ones, but the podcast is so much more than that. The hosts are legitimately best friends in real life, and they talk about the movies and life in general in such an entertaining and personal way that it really makes you feel like you know them. I know it might sound dramatic to talk this way about a podcast, but I've been listening to it since it started in 2018, and Bran, Dan, Brian, former host Panda, and all of their awesome guests have really gotten me through some rough days over the years. It has become my comfort item in a way. Whether I'm trying to unwind from a stressful day or getting ready for a new one in the morning, turning on their show provides me with instant relaxation and laughter. And, of course, I have to mention that Deck the Hallmark really is ultimate podcast goals. They have now written multiple books inspired by the show, been on TV shows such as Good Morning America and The Kelly Clarkson Show, and became so successful that they were able to quit their day jobs. It's absolutely incredible. I plan to do an episode for Christmas in July this year all about my Christmas con and Deck the Hallmark experience, and I can't wait to share it with all of you. Besides the excitement of this upcoming weekend, there's also another holiday quickly approaching. This year, Father's Day falls on Sunday, June 18th. While many people look forward to this day where they get to express their love and appreciation for dad, this holiday isn't always one of joy. It turns out, when you find out your dad is a serial killer, Father's Day gets a bit more… complicated. But, before I tell you all about A Dad Who Killed, I want to rewind back to my recent Mother's Day episode for a moment. If you gave it a listen, you know I explored one of my favorite films, Coraline, and touched on the complicated relationships Coraline has with her real mother and other mother. It turns out, one of my podcast friends, Robert, from the Behind the Bells podcast, loves the film as much as I do, so I invited him to chime in and share his thoughts let's hear what Robert had to say.
1: Is the grass truly greener on the other side? Well, that is a question that a 12-year-old girl explores in Coraline. Based on the Neil Gaiman book that I haven't read, Coraline is sort of a retelling of Alice in Wonderland, as we see young Coraline Jones, played by Dakota Fanning, trying to find whimsy and excitement in the new house that she and her family move into. It's filled with some unique people, but that's about it. It's drab, stale, joyless, and as said by Coraline herself, boring. It doesn't help that her mother is an irritable woman that Coraline sees as bossy and unfun. This changes when she finds a door in the living room that seems to lead into a similar house, except with more color and light. Oh, and there happens to be duplicates of everyone she's seen. Even her parents are there... with buttons instead of eyes. But instead of a stern mother, she gets a warmer mom who encourages fun and games. Coraline spends the next couple of nights returning to this parallel house, where she sees everything from a jumping mice circus to Broadway performances, to her father playing music. She's nearly tempted to stay but she also senses something really off about the place. Though she manages to escape, she does find her parents taken by the other mother. With the help of a black cat, she goes back to find out just what happened and what this whole parallel world even is. This is one movie that I hope never gets a live-action remake. You're not going to top this. And that's because I hold Coraline in a very high regard. I... Love this movie. This movie really is the definition of, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Coraline takes us through a whimsical world that most of us kids wish we could have gone to. And we have director Henry Selleck to thank. Now, if the name sounds familiar, that's because he's directed The Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach. And his influence really shows. His style fits perfectly with Coraline, giving us two really unique dark worlds the real world, and the parallel world. Coraline herself is an amazing child character. It's honestly a breath of fresh air that doesn't even try to go the Disney route and make her overly perfect or chipper. She can be curious and excited, but I like that she could also be sassy and silly, even occasionally annoying. I like that she has some mean moments, like when she calls another kid named YB, why were you born? That doesn't make her bad, Just a kid. She's a good character to go into this bizarre rabbit hole and see how twisted things can become. The deeper we go, the less whimsical everything is and everything really does become scary, especially when we see the other mother for the monster she really is. This also becomes a fun coming-of-age story without pushing the tone too hard. This is a family film first and an edgy one for that. I used to think that this could be a little too scary for kids, but I'd say this fits to the same camp with a lot of other dark family films. You know, like Return to Oz, The Witches, and Gremlins. If anything, this is also a really great Halloween watch. Along with the spooky imagery and a dark story, a lot of the color patterns invoke a lot of orange, black, green, and gray. It's slowly becoming canon to my Halloween schedule, which means that I'm going to watch it at least once a year. This is definitely one of my top 10 Halloween movies for the season. Coraline is a fun story about what happens when you think there's an easy way out of a glum situation. Crawl through the tunnel and see if things are really as good as they seem.
0: Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on Coraline, Robert. I really agree with your entire take. The choice of director couldn't have been more perfect, and the general feel of the movie, even beginning with the poster that was widely distributed, is so beautiful, intriguing, and creepy. Coraline teaches us to appreciate what we have before it disappears, and if we just get some perspective now and then, we realize things really aren't so bad. Be sure to check out Robert's show, Behind the Bells. He deep dives into Christmas movies of all kinds, and it's really worth a listen. Find it wherever you get your podcasts, and I'll also post a link in the show notes. According to allthatsinteresting.com, Carrie Rawson was born in Wichita, Kansas in 1978. Raised by who she felt were loving parents, she had, by all accounts, a positive childhood. For more than two decades, she saw her father as a noble veteran, church board president, and a Boy Scout troop leader. Growing up, she often went fishing and hiking with him and had lovely holidays with her family. By that point in his life, Dennis Rader, her father, had served in the Air Force and also reportedly become obsessed with serial killers, but would later claim that his own disturbing urges had begun much earlier in his life. In an interview, he spoke of extreme sexual fantasies starting as early as elementary school. After leaving the Air Force, Rader aspired to higher things, so he enrolled at Wichita State University and graduated in 1979 with a bachelor's degree in administrative justice. In 1975, Rader and his wife welcomed their first child, Brian, followed by daughter Carrie a few years later. A registered Republican who was tough on crime, he finally conned his way into a great cover for a serial killer. He was the president of Wichita's Christ Lutheran Church, where he had been a member for three decades. By day, he put his degree to work as the code enforcement supervisor for Park City, a Wichita suburb. In addition to his social, religious, and economic accomplishments, Rader had previously worked for home security companies— where he became an expert in home security systems and in penetrating them. On January 15, 1974, Raider committed his first murders when he strangled four members of a family, including two children, in their Wichita home. Seaman was located at the scene, but none of the victims had been sexually assaulted. Raider took a watch from the home, and this theft would become a pattern in subsequent murders. When serial killers do this, it's commonly believed that they are taking a souvenir to commemorate their handiwork. In April 1974, Rader set his sights on a 21-year-old woman. After breaking into her home, he encountered her brother, who managed to escape despite being shot. Rader fatally stabbed the woman he had targeted and then fled. Later that same year, he wrote a letter detailing the January murders. Part of the letter read, The code words for me will be bind them, torture them, kill them. BTK. Hence why law enforcement and the public started referring to the unknown subject as the BTK killer. He left the letter in a book at the Wichita Public Library, where it was eventually recovered by police. Over the next two decades, the BTK killer murdered five more women. His sixth victim was strangled in March 1977 after he locked her three young children in the bathroom. Following the death of his next victim in December 1977, Raider seemed to grow irritated by the lack of media coverage his killings were receiving. In a letter to a local TV station, he wrote, "'How many people do I have to kill before I get my name in the paper or some national attention?' Interestingly, the increased media coverage spurred by that letter seemed to stop BTK's killings for a time. Raider waited eight years before murdering a neighbor in her home in 1985. He reportedly later took her body to his church, where he photographed her in bondage. He then went on to kill a 28-year-old mother of two in 1986, followed by his last known murder in 1991 when he strangled a 62-year-old woman in her secluded home. The cases then went cold as the killer's identity remained unknown. In 2004, on the 30th anniversary of Raider's first killings, a local newspaper ran a feature in which it speculated that the killer had likely either died or was now incarcerated. This didn't sit well with Rader, so he responded by sending various evidence from his ninth murder, including a copy of the victim's driver's license and photographs of her body, to a reporter. Over the next year, he sent packages to the media or simply left them in random places throughout Wichita. He often used cereal boxes, possibly as a reference to the term serial killer, to hold things like drawings and souvenirs he had collected from his murders. He also sometimes included written descriptions of the murders or dolls posed to mimic the positions the victims were found in after they were killed. In January 2005, police finally received a break in the case after recovering a cereal box that included a note in which raider asked police whether or not they'd be able to trace a floppy disk he wanted to send them. Via a classified ad, law enforcement officials stated it would be safe. BTK then sent them a disk. His fatal error came when police were able to recover a deleted document from the disk and view the metadata of the document. The metadata included information which traced back to Christ Lutheran Church and attributed the last edits made to someone named Dennis. From there, investigators started researching and slowly put the puzzle pieces together. They learned that this church had a council president named Dennis Rader, but this evidence wasn't enough, so investigators obtained a warrant to test the DNA of a close relative of Dennis's. His daughter's DNA was obtained, and it was determined to be a family match to the DNA under one of BTK's victim's fingernails. The chain of evidence became clear and determined one thing. Dennis Rader was the BTK killer. Digital forensics for the win. Yay! Rader was arrested on February 25, 2005. In an initial interview with police, he confessed to all the murders he committed and said, the floppy did me in, referring to the floppy disk he had sent the document in on that led to his identification. In June of that year, he pled guilty to all counts and was later sentenced to 10 consecutive life terms behind bars. According to a book in my personal collection called There But For the Grace of God, Survivors of the 20th Century's Infamous Serial Killers, the BTK killer is the only active serial killer in American criminal history who remained at large for three decades while he continued to kill as police actively hunted him. For the BTK killer's daughter, Carrie, her image of her father was shattered on February 25, 2005, when an FBI agent showed up at her front door and told her her father had been arrested and was likely the BTK killer. In an interview with 2020 in 2019, Carrie said she had been in an extended period of trying to recover after writing and releasing a best-selling memoir titled A Serial Killer's Daughter, My Story of Faith, Love, and Overcoming about her struggle and personal journey after learning her father was a serial killer. I'm in an ongoing period of trying to rest and get peace and space, Carrie said in the interview. Our family has moved, embracing a new start for all of us. I still have ongoing battles with PTSD, but I'm hopeful that I can continue to heal with time and peace. She also mentioned that she had received a letter from her father in which he told her that he had watched a lot of the interviews she had done about the memoir she wrote. However, in spite of him reaching out to her, she has chosen not to maintain a relationship with him, as the obvious trauma of dealing with the reality of who he is and what he did are too much to bear. Carrie has been blunt about the fact that her father likes to play psychological games with those around him, especially the media, and that he is a pathological liar. Nothing he says can be taken at face value. Just like when the police spent decades trying to identify him, Dennis Rader will do whatever it takes to get attention, no matter how extreme. In an interview with Dateline, Carrie discusses how difficult it is to carry around the stigma of having a father who is a serial killer. She states that even though her and her family are not the ones who did the killings and had no parts in the crimes, they still get labeled, judged, and sometimes mistreated because of their relationship to BTK. Despite the difficulty of being lumped in with these horrific murders, Carrie has taken it upon herself to become a victim advocate and hopes that sharing her experience of dealing with PTSD and reconciling with who her father is can help others learn to move forward after traumatic experiences. They may be a part of who we are, but they certainly don't define us. Today, the BTK killer is 78 years old and is serving his multiple life sentences at El Dorado Correctional Facility, a maximum security prison in Kansas. If you have any interesting holiday-related stories you'd like me to share in an episode this season, feel free to send them to me. Email Kristen at holidaysafterdark.com, Direct message at Holidays Podcast on Instagram or Twitter, or find Holidays After Dark on Facebook. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss your dose of holiday darkness. A rate or review would also be greatly appreciated. Thank you to my sister Ashley for editing and producing the podcast. Today I will leave you with a quote from Ida B. Wells Barnett who was an American investigative journalist, educator, and leader in the civil rights movement. Although it wasn't what she was speaking about, I feel it fits very well when it comes to serving justice to BTK. The way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them. This episode is sponsored by Keen. Are you wondering what 2023 will have in store for you? Or maybe you're looking for love advice or to get a tarot card reading to give you some guidance on how you should proceed throughout the year? Well, look no further. Keen connects you with gifted psychics, tarot readers, and astrologers. All you have to do is create an account and you'll be able to choose from hundreds of readers who are online right now. Their readers each have unique specialties designed to provide a deeper understanding of your situation. You also have the freedom to choose whichever reader best suits your needs, and you'll be able to connect with them via phone call or text. As a new customer on Keen, you can try your first 10 minutes for only $1.99, which is up to $99 in savings. Go to trykeen.com holidaysafterdark to save big on your first reading. That's T-R-Y-K-E-E-N dot com slash holidays after dark. Feel more confident about your future by trying Keen today.